It's great to see you this morning. Grab your Bibles and turn to uh, Joshua chapter number eight. And I, I just want you to know that I, I'm not going to preach very long today and, and I'm not sick, okay? Like, some of you are looking at me kind of like, I don't believe you, Pastor. Joshua chapter number eight. I just want you to have some authenticity today and just answer this question. If you feel comfortable enough raising a hand, if you don't, you can just sit there in total obscurity if you like. But uh, how many of you have ever failed at something in your life? Can I just see your hands? Okay. And some decided to sit right there in obscurity. I'm with you. Uh, about three, three weeks ago, I headed back over to the alma mater, Pine Tree High School. Any pirates in the house? One. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, several pirates. And uh, I was walking down the hall and uh, looking over there at a trophy case that uh, I saw shattered uh, way back in 1983. Same trophy case. A uh, little fight broke out in the hall. Luckily, I wasn't involved in it. And uh, somebody got slammed up against the glass, glass everywhere. I walked by and I could almost hear that glass being broken again. Uh, guy that graduated, he's a lot older than I am, that's here, Bruce Ripley, great baseball player from Pine Tree. Uh, I bet he could walk out on the field and remember the last place he struck out or, well, oh, that's right, you never struck out though. Okay, I'm with you. But you know, failures are part of our lives. And uh, contrary to the emails I received last week, I wasn't upset last week when I was uh, communicating with you from Joshua chapter number seven. But I ask you, how do you, in a positive way, preach when a man gets stoned and burned to death? I mean, do you kind of put this spin on it? Oh, he kind of had a bad day. But I'm telling you, man, that was tragedy. When you and I are in the midst of disobedience to God and, and we bring a whole nation to a standstill, that is a tragic situation. But thank God there's a chapter eight. And man, do we have some great news on the horizon today. So as we as readers, learners, connectors to God's word, work through the book of Joshua, we are in a tremendous place of impact. Because as we ended chapter seven last week, the whole nation, Israel, that's how God spelled it out to them. Israel, God's anger is burning against you. This one man has taken things out of this great battle of Jericho, put them in his tent, put his own family in peril. And because of that, the whole nation, the Lord, his anger burns against you as a nation now. And so after this tremendous penalty of death, the nation now is ready to move forward. I don't know if you brought something to write with, but I wish we could hang out here for about three weeks, but we don't have that luxury. We gotta keep moving along in the book of Joshua. But there's some things I'd just like to share with you that are not even on the outline today that are extras. It's kinda like when you get to the end of the McDonald's bag and you put your hand down there and you went, oh man, I thought everything was gone. Three loose fries in the bottom of the bag. There's always some extras. But I just want to toss five or six things out to you that maybe they'll be helpful to you. When you and I fail, and we all have, we all will, there's three things, three ways that people usually react to you. And, and the first thing that people so often do is they criticize. And many times when we're in the midst of a failure, that's the last thing we need is somebody to criticize us. But so often that happens. 
coach gets criticized for a loss. A pastor gets criticized, something's not going right in the church. Uh, a parent's criticized by an educator who, hey, your kid's unruly. It's amazing. We've got 26 kindergartners in this room, and your kid is the most disruptive. It must be a problem of parent, parenting here, you know? And there's so many times we take uh, this failure on ourselves, and people are really good about pointing out different criticisms. The second thing that you can pretty well count on others around you, how they react to you in failure, they overanalyze. I call it the the ESPN deal. You ever heard those sports announcers, commentators, sports scientists, they overanalyze everything. And many times I just want to say, dude, I just want to watch the game in peace here. But so often we have those people in our lives that they're not necessarily critical, but they want to overanalyze everything in our life and let us know why we're there in terms of failure. A parent that says, I told you that was going to happen if you start dating her. A grandmother says, I didn't feel good about her from the first. And then she'd give you this whole litany, this whole list of things that were wrong. I mean, there are, there are going to be those things that we've got to understand. People are going to be critical at times. People are going to overanalyze. And the other thing, number three, the things that people do, they ostracize us. In other words, they push us away. People that we used to hang out with in the cafeteria, they're not hanging with us anymore. The supper club, the same four or five families, all of a sudden, we come out of this failure in our life and the last two times, they found it convenient not to be there. Oh, they had good reason. But they're just not there. It's very important that you and I understand people are going to react to our failures. How do they react? And it helps us to better prepare ourselves for when we are in the midst of failure to be able to assume that. Grab your Bibles. The other little bonus I want to give you, let's read the first two verses. We're going to read a big piece of chapter 8 today, but we'll do that in just a moment. But I just want you to see the first two verses of Joshua chapter number 8. And immediately we call a block of Scripture a pericope. It's a section of Scripture, if you will. And immediately we see the tone is changing. We know that because as we read our Bibles in Joshua chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, then the Lord said, whole new section, curtain's about to come on a new, new day. A new day is dawning here. New set of circumstances is coming for the reader. Well, what's that going to be? In fact, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take a whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of his people, his city, and his land. Now look in verse 2. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you, you may carry off the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. Now the other thing that's just helpful, just want to toss out an extra for you today is if you and I could somehow put in a bottle in our heart, in the midst of our soul, an understanding of what God does out of his nature and his character when we are in or coming out of a failure, it would be helpful to us. Because coming out of failure, many times we don't see clearly. Coming out of a devastating situation, many times we are over at least overly emotionally charged in our lives. 
There's some things going on in our lives and many times we don't think clearly. We don't think straight. We think we're done. We think we'll never come back. We think this is just the most devastating thing that's ever happened to us. But I want you to see just three quick things about how God's nature and character reacts to our failure. We know that because there's a pattern biblically. Here's one of the great examples in Joshua chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. How does God, how does God handle the nation of Israel? How does he handle his relationship with Joshua? What does God say? What does God do? Those things give us an indication of his nature and character when we walk through failure. The first thing we see is God is encouraging did you catch that at the first part of verse 1? Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. There's God's encouragement. When you go back to chapter 7 and look in verse number 13, you see that God asked Joshua, you make sure the people consecrate themselves. And then he said it again in the middle of verse 13 in chapter 7. Hey, be sure the people consecrate themselves. You consecrate them as their leader, but also make sure they consecrate themselves. One of the things important coming out of failure is understand God has an expectation that you and I come clean with him. To be close to God, you gotta be clean. You gotta consecrate yourself. Solomon taught us an important lesson about that out of Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. Solomon said this, he said, whoever conceals their sin, they'll not prosper. But whoever confesses or renounces those sins, they will find mercy. And that's an important lesson for us all. Aren't you thankful that we have a compassionate God, that our God loves us, our God cares for us, our God, by his very nature, welcomes us back to him. As we come clean and we gather close to God, he gathers close to us. That's an important concept for us to understand. And nothing, there's nothing you and I can do about past sin except to give it and confess it to him. We can't fix it. We can't redo it. There's no redos. Once that sin is committed, you've just got to give it to him. He's the only one that can deal with that. I was thinking the other day about Joshua and this heartbreak. I mentioned to you last week in the English language over there in Joshua 7, there's the word alas. It's used in all 26 translations that I looked at. But it's really not an English word, but they had to put something there. They couldn't put a breath sound out of the Hebrew language in the Old Testament. So the closest word they could translate was alas, and then it always has a formal name or noun of God's name. It's a breath sound in the Hebrew language, and then it follows by some name for God. Ah, Elohim. Ah, Jehovah. And we saw that out of the emotion of Joshua, who was heartbroken that Achan and his family had taken this plunder that was under the ban and had committed. What a failure. What a spiritual. I mean, that was a nightmare for Joshua. And by the way, Joshua coming out of the same tribe as Judah, it was like of all the tribes, my own people, they stole from the Lord. And we've got to understand that even in the midst of this, God is encouraging. Do you see it again? Do not be afraid. Do not dis get discouraged. If you're ever in the midst of failure, listen to me. Listen to me this morning. God is still there and he will encourage you through it. 
A second thing that's very important is God's instruction. God is still giving us the answer to what we do next. That's almost always what a person in failure asks. What do I do next? Where do I go from here? How do I overcome this? I mean, what do I do now? My family's destroyed. My business is destroyed. I mean, I've lost my job. My relationship's gone. Whatever the failure is in your life, God is still instructing. In fact, look at the end of verse 1. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. Hey, hey, God, can I have a, a minute to feel sorry for myself? It's like God says, no, you can't. I love you. And here's what's next. His instruction is always there. I just wonder, is there somebody here in that place today that that's really what you're asking God in your life? God, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? I mean, I broke this. I did this. This is on me. This is not on somebody else. Dude, this is on me and squarely on me. And what, what do I do next in that relationship? What do I do? I mean, what's the next job? Or, I mean, how do I get out of this, this financial situation? Or how do I get out of this sticky situation that I'm in? Remember, God is, is there encouraging. God is there with instruction. That's his nature. That's his character. And number three, there's always going to be a word of assurance. Look in verse two, just the first few words, and you get it right off the bat. You shall, uh, you shall do to Ai and his king as you did to Jericho and its king. Wow. That went pretty well at Jericho, as I recall. Walls came tumbling, not down, but you've been trained. The walls came tumbling out. The only place in antiquity, in antiquity that we know that the walls fell outward in a siege, they made a ramp, rubble, and the army of the Lord just marched in. Incredible moment. And God says, hey, out of your failure, out of what Achan did, out of what the nation has done, of all the things, I've got a great victory waiting for you. When we stay clean, there's the two words for the day, and we stay close. Great things can happen because we have, out of God's character and nature, he'll always be there for us. Now, three things I want you to write down. Here we go. Now we get to the message today. You ready? And it's short. I'm, I'm going to preach short today, remember? Remember? Trust me. Trust me. Number one, write these things down. When we are clean and close, it always brings clarity to the mission. When you and I are in a place in our lives, when we're clean and close with God, there's gonna, it's going to clarify everything. It's going to help clar bring clarity to our marriages. It's going to help bring clarity to our future direction. It's going to bring clarity to so many things. Now, put your thinking cap on and just be refreshed and reminded of chapter 7. Do you remember the plan there? Joshua said, hey, a couple of you guys go do some reconnaissance. Check things out. Come back. Give me a plan. I'll see if we want to do that plan. Then we'll carry out the plan. Then we'll be done with this little pig village called Ai. I mean, it didn't have double perimeter walls like Jericho. It wasn't at a strategic crossroads like Jericho. AI was a little nothing. I mean, maybe 15,000 15, people or so, maybe less. You say, well, that's a lot of people. It's a lot more than certain towns. But in the midst of this, it was not anything like Jericho. And of all things, that loose plan cost them. But I want to show you in contrast, grab your Bibles, and let's read a few verses. I don't know if you like military history, but for, for you that do like military history, 
still taught in most of our war colleges are Joshua's strategy. And by the way, this has become known in military history as the pincer movement. And here was the foundation of it. Let's read the next several verses, Joshua chapter 8 and verse 3. Hang on, because even though I did graduate from Pine Tree, I can read. Here we go. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai, verse number 3. He chose 30,000 of his best. Now, you put your thinking cap on and tell me, is the best the Marines, the SEALs, the Berets? I don't know who you want to call that today in today's elite force forces, but out of a couple of million of Hebrew people, Joshua picked 30,000. His leaders picked 30,000 of the finest fighting men that they had. Group number one, keep following with me, 30,000 of his best fighting men, and he sent them out at night. Now that's significant. Slide them out at night. Keep reading. With these orders, listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you are to be on alert. Look at, the, at verse number nine. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. And they will say, they're running away from us as they did before. Hey, that's a scenario in chapter seven, isn't it? few thousand Hebrew men went down. They th th thought they were going to take care of the village. If you weren't here last week, that didn't work out well. Those Hebrew men had to retreat. They had to run. It was embarrassing. But not only that, 36 men lost their lives there on the slopes outside of Ai. Who's going to talk to their families? Who's going to explain that mess in the tent? Who's going to explain that to the, club, the clan and tribe? There's, there's the question. Of all things, this rebellion costs lives. Achan has been burned. His wife has been burned. Their children have been burned. Their livestock has been destroyed. And their bodies, their burned bodies, covered up under stones. Dude, this is a bad scenario. Are you seeing a little different plan this time in terms of organization? Again, pick it up in verse number eight. And when you've taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders, verse nine. Then Joshua sent them off and they went to the place of ambush and they lay in wait between Bethel and Ai uh, to, to the west, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army and he and his leaders of Israel marched them to Ai, verse 11. The entire force that was with him marched up and they approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up a camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and sent them in ambush. Now we got three groups. 30,000 west of the city, the elite fighting men. They're in wait, they're hiding. The main body with Joshua, he has already, and we just found that out, splintered off 5,000 more to protect the other side of the city. Maybe some will slip out outside the city. Maybe there is a band of fighting men away and they'll be coming back at a very unfortunate time period. And so Joshua has made sure I've got these 30,000 waiting in ambush. I've got these 5,000 on the other part of the city here. And they're just making sure they protect that flank, that side of things. And Joshua remains on the northern slopes of Ai 
with the largest mass of warriors. Three groups. We know it is a pincer movement. And the Bible says as soon as he did that, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position. As soon as he did what? Well, in verse number eight, we have this instruction. If it had been to Moses, God would have said, Moses, lift your staff. But it's not to Moses, it's to Joshua. Joshua is a military man. Lift your, most of you have this translation, regardless of what Bible you're holding today, javelin, spear. Lift your spear, lift your warrior javelin, if you will. And there it is in verse nine. Or verse 8, he lifted it. Hold your hand and I'll deliver this city, he says. Jump down to verse number 10. And the men of Ai looked back and they saw the smoke. The Bible says that the, all of the warriors, every one of them, left their position. Look in verse 9. They rushed forward and they attacked Joshua, that main force. And the 30,000 men that lay in ambush rushed in between them and the walls of that city, the perimeter of that city, and put themselves there and set fire to the city. Now the warriors of Ai are in a vice. In between the 30,000 most trained elite soldiers and Joshua's main body of warriors, it's looking much better for the children of God. The men of Ai in verse 10 looked back and they saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. And when, for, when Joshua, verse 21, and all of Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. Those in the ambush came out and, uh, of the city against them. So they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides and they cut them down leaving neither survivors nor fugitives. I ask you a question. Whether you carry, any, carry anything about military history or not, is there a little distinction between the plan in chapter 8 and the plan in chapter 7? Just a little. <laughs> You've got to understand, when we're close to God and we're clean with him, consecrated before him, it always, always clarifies the mission. But you know, this would be a great place for us to transition, knock those two last statements out, just so I could show Daniel I'm not going to speak very long today. But we can't go forward. We can't go forward because there's a valuable lesson here. The lesson is the stark contrast between Jericho and Ai. In chapter, in chapter 6, when they came to Jericho, God just says, all I want you guys to do is just march around. Each day, just march around those walls, carry the Ark of the Covenant with you. Don't, don't yell at those guys trying to pester you from the wall up above. Just do what I tell you to do. Six straight days, just walk around the perimeter. One time. Carry the ark. Carry my word. Carry the covenant of God. That covenant you have in God with that ark of the covenant, just walk it around. And on the seventh day, walk around seven times. And then God did the rest. All they had to do was rush in. Everything was contained. Quick clean up. And the battle was over. Not with AI. 
History tells us here in our scripture that it took them all day. They had to slaughter 12 to 14,000 people. And the Bible tells us the people scattered. When they saw they were in trouble, they began to run and flee. As they scattered, they had to round those people up. And it took them all day. That's significant. Because we see again, God doesn't always do the same thing time and time again. The methods are different. The message is the same, but the methods are different. And you know, most of you, especially in this service, I mean, you'd be thumbs up for doing things a little different. Can I hear a little amen out there? <laughs> but you know what? We believe that in our life, but many times in our spiritual development, we think God's going to move in the same old way that he's always moved before. And nothing can be further from the truth. Our God is always up to something new. From Jericho to AI, worlds apart. In fact, an important statement that I put on our little outline today, I hope you'll jot it down. One of the major problems we have in moving forward is we keep looking back. One of the problems that we have moving forward is we always look back at that anchored failure and it keeps us from ever moving forward. All right, close clean. It clarifies the mission. Number two, staying close eliminates unnecessary repetition. Staying close eliminates unnecessary repetition. We won't read it today for the sake of time, but in chapter 7, verse 2, 3, 4, 5, chapter 7, verse 2, 3, 4, 5, you have that ugly battle that was recorded in chapter 7 where those 36 men died, where the Hebrew people were embarrassed. They ran away from the battle. They, uh, see, what would be the East Texas term? They were getting their tails kicked. There it is. They were fleeing. It was a horrible scenario. Of all the things, the important lesson here, one of them is do things right the first time. Well, any of you ever been trained on that by your parents or somebody? Do things right, the right, the what? The first time. I think about my dad. I can't tell you how many times growing up my dad said, dry it up, dry it up, we're going back, we're doing this all over again. Now that was the coach part in him, all right? Have you kind of ever heard a, a similar thing in your life growing up at some point? Do things right the first time. I had an electrical contractor over my house the other day and he had four or five guys working. And uh, we were talking about something. They were hooking an air unit up and doing some different things up there. And, and uh, I said, man, man, you own the company. Why are you out here? He said, because it's very expensive when I have to come back and clean up things these guys don't typically do right the first time. My presence here is to make sure things are done right the first time. And what I would suggest to you today is this. The spiritual lessons are tough when you and I have to go back and do something again. Have you ever stopped to think about God doesn't tell us here, not recorded for us in the book of Joshua? Do you think that with, let's say, 12,000 warriors from AI, that no one had a scratch on them from Israel? You think a few more people died that day? I I would be in that camp. I would raise my hands. I think some, some more of God's children died. I, I agree. Not just the 36 from the previous battle, but I think some guys died on this day too. And again, going back to those tents, 
and say, hey, man, our dad died, our granddad died, our, our cousin died, somebody from our tribe died there. I mean, I mean, it's always tougher to go back. Any of you ever had to go to summer school? Anybody ever had to go to summer school? I never went to summer school. I know some people go to summer school to get ahead. When I grew up, hey, I mean, summer school was for a C. My wife will say I need to be kind here. I was going to say flunkies, but I'll get in trouble. Uh, Summer school was from those that did not do so well. Is that a more tactful way to say that? For those underprivileged that didn't do so well, how am I doing? My wife's saying, just move on, you're terrible. And, and, uh, and, and, but I, I, I didn't ever have to go, but I taught summer school one summer to make a little extra cash. I'll never do that again. Dude, summer is not made for school. Can I hear an amen? Biggest amen of the day, that's impressive. I said, hey, anybody want a free lunch? I'd get a bigger amen, wouldn't I? Okay, I got it. But the, but, the, but the incredible thing is this. So many people are in there because they didn't take care of their what? Their business the first time around. I just didn't go to class. I blew it off. I didn't take care of my business. And I just ask you, how many times in your life have you had to go back and redo something and it was always more painful and more expensive the second time around? We were talking in our first service about Judson Road. City guy was out working on the light the other day and I was talking to him out here and uh, I was telling him the story because he's, he's a relatively new employee to our city. I was telling him I grew up here. I was here when this building was built. Uh, I, I, I remember when it was just pretty much vacant. And uh, I was telling him the story about Oakland Heights uh, getting in this big, not really a brouhaha, but a big discussion. I remember as a kid, uh, I was in high school, and uh, I, I just remember all the different emotionally. Tra- Somebody said, we need to build a concrete walk across up in the air that goes over this Judson Road. And again, this was like in the mid-1970s, 75, 76, uh, when that planning was being done. Because there's one day the speed limit won't be 30 out here on Judson Road headed up here to the Judson community, the Judson school at that time. You know, it gets faster, but right here was 30 at that time. And they said, we need to build this. And so they did a study, $216,000 in in mid-1970s to build a loop-a-de-loop walkover like Kilgore College has over Judson Road just for the safety of the people here where you don't have to cross Judson Road. Now we know at 45, which is really 55, Judson Road has become the home of two kinds of people that make it across or don't, the quick and the dead. That's the only kind of people that cross. And the church was all in a big stew about it. $216,000. You know, the church had this priced about four years ago. It was going to be a little over $2 million if we could even get it permitted to put a walk across Judson Road. But it just reminds me, when it comes to church life, we want to sit around and count our pennies and our nickels and our dimes. When there's kingdom work and doing things the right way, can I just encourage you about something today and then we go to the last thing and we head to lunch? Well, I think Josh is going to sing some more. When we're close we're clean before the Lord. I think it's significant that we remember that that almost always eliminates 
almost always, unuseful, unnecessary repetition. Last thing, staying close also brings God's provision. Now, this is really the heartbreak for me, the takeaway from chapter 8. If you go back to verse number 2, we read that when we first started today. Just look at this final concept. He said in the middle of, of, in fact, let's just read the whole verse again in verse 2. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. We talked about that a moment ago. Now, here's a statement. Except that you may carry off their plunder. Some of you have this translation. You may carry off all their plunder and livestock. Look at how this is worded in the NIV. For yourselves. In other words, when you take AI, everything there is yours. Two weeks ago, we looked at the walls falling outward of Jericho. And there, God's command was clear. Nothing is yours. This is all under the ban. It's to be destroyed. These things to be put in the Lord's treasury. Everything else, destroyed. But now God says, everything there is yours. You take it all. Every bit of livestock, silver, gold, you take it all. You know, I just couldn't help think this week about old Achan. If Achan would have just honored God and been wise, he could have had so much more. Yeah, he got some gold and silver and that old mantle and robe from that Babylonian era. But of, of all the things, Achan, if you would have just been obedient and honored God, Just a few days later, you would have been in a place that it would have all been yours. I don't care what generation that we're a part of. Honoring God is always the right way. That's why in the book of Deuteronomy, God says over and over, I'm the one that gives you strength. Hear me. One reason that God so often requires us to wait is he's purifying our desires. <laughs> we were talking in that first service across the street about when we get ahead of God. And I didn't ask, I'm glad I didn't ask, I was going to ask how many of you, if you had married your first boyfriend, your first love, your first girlfriend, your first love, you look back now and you went, man, I'm so glad I wasn't married to that old thing. You know, that's what I was going to ask them. Because my wife reminds me about that all the time. You be thankful you got me and not that old thing. Okay, I'm, I'm, you, you with me there? But how many times in our lives, now think about this, when God says, no, 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 you need to be patient and wait. I've got something better for you. Do we rush ahead and not be patient? And it's in that act of disobedience that so often we learn an extremely important thing. Not everything we want is really good for us.
Not everything we want is good for us. And that's how so often God purifies our desires. Aren't you thankful that God always provides for us? These people had to be wondering, hey, God's cut the manna off, he's cut the quail, all that's gone. And now, I mean, we're nomadic. We're moving all the time. We're in battle. We're not going to be ranchers and farmers. We don't stay anywhere long enough to raise any crops. How are we going to eat? And then we take this city and all this good food's there. The granaries are filled. And God says, you destroy it all. It's like, you know what? Hey, God wants to know, hey, are you going to depend on me or not? And so it was out of that incredible truth that we're reminded that staying close always brings God's provision. Can I just say this? I'm being truthful for you, not preacher talk. Y'all listen well today. You listen well. I pray God's blessing upon the, the proclamation of his word. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had. I thank you how you've gifted musicians in our church. I'm so thankful that our early service today, man, that full choir and the orchestra, man, that, I just believe that glory abounded in that room with your goodness and your grace and your mercy. It showed us just a glimpse of, just a glimpse of who you are. And then in this service, again, how you're just using this time of worship to just lift our hearts and our spirits. Father, I wonder if someone has come to this place today that is really just having a personal struggle a real challenging, difficult situation in their life. And Father, maybe today uh, they've been wrestling with how people have responded to that. Maybe it's a failure. Maybe it's some difficulty or transgression that they're having to work through. And, and, and Father, I just pray today that what we've shared here in these passages would bring new hope, new encouragement to them in their, in their walk with Christ. Father, I, I pray that if we are in a place in our lives that we're about to make a big, big decision and we have any hint that the spirit, your, your spirit that lives and dwells in us has any hesitation about us moving forward that we would throw the spiritual brakes on and say, Lord, I, I heard you. I sent you. Maybe that's dealing with a moral question in our lives. Maybe that's dealing with a business interest. Maybe that's dealing with a situation in a relationship between someone and, and ourselves. But Father, whatever that may be, it may be that you may be purifying our desires and that you have something so much better. Father, for the individual that's seeking the Lord today that says, I would never, ever follow a God that allowed the burning of a family. Father, I just pray that your spirit would speak into their heart about the stern warning and provision that you made before the battle of Jericho was ever fought. And Father, again, the premeditated sense of that transgression. Not only did Achan take the plunder, but he didn't go out in the woods somewhere in the desert and bury it. He brought it into his own tent and treated it as it was one of his own things. And Father, in essence, told God, God, I don't trust you. 
I'll do things my way. And because of it, Lord, a whole nation was brought to its very knees. And your anger burned against that nation. So, Father, today, for that individual that's struggling today, I pray that your spirit would allow them scripturally to see the real forgiveness of God. Not one isolated act, but how much you really do love us, even by imparting your own Savior out of a majestic heavenlies to planet Earth to die on the cross for us. A brutal death, a horrible death, shedding his own blood sacrificially so that we might have eternal life. So, Father, as we continue this time of worship, lift our hearts now, encourage and inspire us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.